Hello and welcome to Court Games, a Legend of the Five Rings podcast, paid for by the Legend of the Five Rings community Discord Patreon. This podcast will focus on the role-playing game stories and more for Legend of the Five Rings. I'm Korva. And I am Kikita Kaori. And just recently what's been happening is we've had a new fiction, which is Falling Stars by Mary Murdoch. Yes, it's been a long time, so we've been waiting with bated breath to find out the consequences of the last stone played and here we go hopefully there'll yep. be one every week from now on or something like that something yeah that was that was the impression we we're getting is that there's going to be like uh what six or so uh-huh it's, this starts pretty much exactly after the the previous fiction um but it's slightly off to one side because akoda keide this is who is the phoenix wife of the emerald champion which is akoda totori and she is at a, a moon viewing where there's lots of poetry and, and people in very nice hats. And <laughs> it's all very, it's all just very calm and serene. And then she has a vision and, uh, she must immediately go scurrying to see because she knows that her husband is in terrible, terrible danger. And we as the readers know, and that's because Bushi Aramoro has been sent by Bushi Kashiko to kill Toturi to stop him telling everyone about the edict, which is going to upset Kachiko's plans. I was about to say, the Scorpion's plans. <laughs> but that's not really accurate. <laughs> well, Kachiko's plans, and she didn't read the whole edict before she sent him to assassinate. No, no. And she's, Always yeah, read all the paperwork. It's very important. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> I think, I think this, this is a classic player character mistake i think it's like aha you know when when you kind of sort of okay you you walk in and you see a big room and there's a dragon we kill the dragon and it's like well i was going to tell you about the traps in the way but okay fine <laughs> so meanwhile while kaida is running off to rescue tutori tutori is fighting uh aramoro who and friends and friends and is killed a little and left for dead he, he's he's only mostly dead <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Kaida arrives in time to save him. And yes, we're spoiling this all over the place, but you can read yeah. it and it's much better than our description for sure. It is. And then Kaida and Tatori, with the help of Sapun Ishikawa, who is also there, flee Otasan Uchi because Tatori is still very, very gravely injured um, and not yep. well enough to have another attempt made on his life. And Aramora thinks he's dead, so if mm. Tatori hides, all will be well for a little while. Um, so, yeah, we're not quite sure. Uh, by the end of it, we're not quite sure how escaped they are, right, but they're certainly or, on their way. Or what Kayede sacrificed in order mm. to bring Totori back from the dead. So there's been lots of interesting speculation about what she may have sacrificed. Uh, I mean, he really genuinely was. I mean, from... from I mean, it all gets a bit metaphysical, as as happens often when you're a Voichigenja, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Kaeda is a very powerful Voichigenja. Um, and it's not entirely clear whether his spirit was gone, gone, about to go, would you know? Did did she persuade him back or drag him back? Was he dead, dead, or was he genuinely mostly dead? She also saw uh, visions of her father, which is interesting because her father, who's the previous master of void, fell into the void, or the nothing, or the something, mm-hmm. 
in a previous fiction. So that's interesting. And there, yeah, there's this lingering kind of, there will be a price. And there is some speculation as to what that might be. Yes. There's always a price. So, so much of the discord, much of the discussion on discord about this particular story has been, what did Kaide sacrifice? And, uh, she has a lot to sacrifice right now. So, so my, my suggestion is that, uh, the price she pays is she's just going to, for the rest of her life, be always not quite sure whether any bad thing that happens was because of what she did. <laughs> and was that the price? That's I'm not cruel. sure. You're heartless. Mm, so she's just going to feel, she's just going to feel bad about it the whole time. So one of the interesting things, if you put this on the timeline, uh, the times that they give for um, these events are pretty much almost simultaneous with the uh, events of Last Stone Played. Uh, but there's a little problem with the timeline in that Kaide uh, is at this moon viewing and Kachiko is there. But Kachiko is also busy mopping up the emperor, as it were. Yeah. So, Kachiko is in two places at once. So, this was a little confusing and trying to fake them in the timeline. But uh, Katrina Ostrander, who is the still kind of supervising the story from afar or having yeah. to do with that, she popped on and said, this works fine because Kachiko has already been shown to use body doubles. So, Kachiko yeah. at the poetry reading is a body double. And in the story, she kind of gives Kaede a look uh, that sends uh, Kaede off in her salesman, right? That's part of the trigger of, yeah, yeah. That's that part of the trigger for the for the her, her initial vision. And I think I think that was a speculation that we had in the original discussion that we had in the in, in the minutes after it's just been posted. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that was one of the suggestions. It was a, a body double. Which may yes. even explain why she was looking sad, because Kachiko don't look sad except when Hotaru's in the room. <laughs> I thought that, that the looking sad was Hotaru's job. That's true. But, you know. We did have some lore nuggets out of this thing, uh, or at least items from uh, Japan that have been brought into Rokugan with this story that we might not have otherwise discussed. Uh, the date of this is a few days before the Harvest Moon Festival and was confirmed to have a similar date as to the Harvest Moon Festival in the real world, which is yep. uh, September – well, nowadays it's September 15th. In pre-1600 – uh, it was September 13th. So think around September 13th to 15th is when the Harvest Moon Festival is. And so that sets the date of the Emperor's assassination to September 10th or 11th. Yeah. And the Otsukumi is basically a moon viewing and lots of poetry and, you know, so you, and, and looking at the moon and being inspired by it. Um, and it's all about, I mean, I think, I think the, the main iconographies look like a maple leaf because that's the time of autumn and so the, the maple leaves are falling. And it's all very artistic. In, in Japan, it's pampas grass that is the iconography. Oh, okay. So, which is interesting enough. You can see lots of lovely wood blocks of pampas grass in the in the moonlight. Yeah. Uh, we had some very, very formal nobles in very, very formal gear, uh, including the kanmuri, which is a particular hat, which is kind of this black glossy thing. And it has... I mean, I'm not even sure what it is. It's kind of this, it kind of a, kind of 
a it would if it stood up it would be a flag but it kind of droops back behind you and is slightly transparent and it it jiggles every time you move so i suspect it's one of its jobs is to show how very poised and graceful you are because you don't have that swinging all over the place but it's a very distinctive hat yes it's it's one of these black lacquer courtier caps kind of like i believe that uh callow delicate uh, is a card that has one of these guys on it in L5R, if you take a look at it. Um, they have a Zembatoon, which are the little flat pillows. So if you have a room, they could have little flat pillows for kneeling on, which is much more comfortable. Especially for, for long periods of time. Although, I mean, the Atatomy is, is not too bad, but uh, a nice a nice cushion, especially because some of the floors are hardwoods. So like kneeling on that for long periods of time is like, uh, no. Can I have a cushion? Yes, you can. And it's called a Zamputon. Um, one of the big featured items in this, you know, talking about items, is the Yatate. Um, and Very that important. Was, it plays a role, yeah. <laughs> it plays an important role in the story. And this one was cool. This is a uh, writing set. And it's made of steel or bronze or something heavy. And it looks mm. like a, a dipper or a smoking pipe. Uh, and the yeah. handle holds the brush. And the bowl holds ink-soaked copied, cotton, and you dip the brush in the ink-soaked cotton and write. And uh, in the in the story, and also in real life, it is a makeshift weapon that can be used mm. by courtiers. And so I strongly recommend that all your courtiers in your RPGs pick up a Yatate, because it's very useful to always have pen and ink available, and also more weapons on your on your courtiers that you can Absolutely. belt someone with in a pinch. You, yeah, your your fan and your your tate and all that kind of good stuff. I, I, I like the fact that they they specify and it, it, it's really kind of funny because the way it's written, it, it seems like oh, this is a lovely, interesting detail that they've, they've clearly done some research and tumpy tum. And of course, he's got to steal one because a he's a lion. <laughs> you know, he's just he's a lion. I want to steal one. And like I was I was joking that the thing was clearly Caillou made because <laughs> yeah. uh, it's it, pretty it's cool. It's dirty. He he gets in a co- couple good licks with it. Well, mainly it stops him getting killed quite a <laughs> yeah, bit. That's yeah. very impressive. Um, you also get you, – we get told about the uh, Onigawara, which is a roof tile. When you, the, when you see the, the tile Japanese houses and they have that kind of curve to them and then, you know, you get, you get those kind of finials at the end. And some of them are shaped like uh, demon heads to scare off evil spirits. And they right, are big the and Oni. heavy and solid. Yeah. The Oni part of Onigawara. So the tiles yeah. themselves are called Gawara, but Onigawara yep. are the ones with demon faces on them. Yep. More like ogre faces, I think, in uh, L5R terminology. But yeah, they're, they're kind of, go away, evil spirit. Um, and they're also big and hefty. And should you have to throw one at someone, they're quite handy. And they, that possibly might come up in the story. Who knows? They put the Oni on the tiles to protect the building from fires. Yeah, so specifically fire spirits, I guess. Like, don't burn me. I'm an I'm a I'm an oni. I'm not, I'm not quite sure how that works. <laughs> it's like the fire goes. Okay, okay, sure, fine. But. Anyway, so those are some lore things worth doing, mm-hmm. uh, worth including. I think the yatate are, are definite must-add items. That's a cool thing, yeah. Um, and uh, everybody should go and read it, but read it fast because. We are recording on Wednesday, and I think that there will probably be another story there, today. There may well be. Um, another fun thing we learned is that the Emerald Champion has suites within the Imperial Palace, which is 
kind of interesting. It's a thing you might want to know for your games. But uh, that was that fiction. That's what we found out. <laughs> Good fun. So, Go read. Right. And uh, this week is coming up. We're going to have Gen Con. There's going to be a new RPG module. I'll report on that next time we get together. Mm-hmm. And uh, not much else news, but there probably will be by the time we, we come back. Yep. So uh, for the rest of the episode, we're going to have a little chat about uh, the Crane Clan. Yay. They feature quite heavily in Courts of Stone. The 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 the, the new mo- the module that was. Heaven's sake. They feature quite heavily in Courts of Stone and the adventure that goes with it. Uh, I don't know if the Gen Con module is going to be very court-based, but I guess we'll find no, out. No, it's going to be all Ronin. Ooh, cool. But the Crane Clan are very much the center of court activity in Rockyan, so let's have a chat about them. All right. Well, uh, in the beginning, so... <laughs> Every every clan is defined by its founding kami, and the kami who founded the Crane Clan was the Lady Doji. And Lady Doji was very kind and charming and uh, artistically gifted and became, for all intents and purposes, the, the mother of Rokugan, because Shinjo was off running around. Um, the- Shinjo's the cool aunt. <laughs> the origin story, or her first uh, arriving in Rokugan, varies in Courts of Stone. So there's been a change in new Legend of the Five Rings lore from the original Legend of Five Rings lore. In the original lore, Doji showed up with all of the other kami, except Fulang, on Sapun Hill, and then set to work basically building the emperor's culture from scratch. She invented everything. In Courts of Stone, they say she, at least, was dashed to the ground away from Sapun Hill and arrived and was extremely wounded when she hit the ground. And the villagers in that village took her in and take, took care of her and healed her. And she didn't know where anyone else was, but she fell in love with the people of this village and spent a lot of time as she was healing, learning all about all the different things in this village that they did. And other villages and tribes all around were extremely jealous of this village for having a divine being living among them. And they came to attack the village uh, and take and steal Doji away. And the Doji went out to meet them and decided that she did not want to fight them. She didn't want to kill them because she found in them as much beauty as she found in her own village. They were just misguided. Yeah. And so she convinced them to lay down their weapons. And in the end, all of these surrounding villages that wanted to kidnap her ended up joining and following her. And that's the core of what the Crane clan is. And she took pieces of all of their different cultures and stuff of herself and kind of put it all together in like, this is, this is the best stuff. So that was how the 
kind of the empire culture was founded. That is a bit of a change. That's kind of interesting that they that she's suddenly falling off to the south of Seppenhull, and I'm, I am intrigued to discover if that's going to be the same for everyone else. I don't think it was mentioned in Shadowlands that anything like that happened with Hida, for example. No, it wasn't. So it could have. It wasn't specified. Yeah, yeah, but. yeah. That's very interesting. Ah. Uh, I thought it was. It, I, I would be interested to see other people falling other places. That could be curious. Anyway, so um, each of the uh, stories of the founding of the clans involve the founder meeting at some point and interacting with Shinsei, who is the founder of the religion of, of uh, Rokugan. So the story with Doji and Shinsei is that uh, – an old man who nobody knew who he was at this point, but an old beggar man was outside Odasanuchi. And at this point, Doji had moved into Odasanuchi with her brother, Hante. Uh, and it was a cold, snowy day. And this beggar was outside the city and he was freezing. So Doji sent some, uh, sent a, a guard out there and said, you know, come on into the palace so you don't freeze to death out there. And the beggar refused. And then she's like, that was weird. She sent her handmaidens out with a blanket and a bowl of soup for him and inviting him back into the palace so he doesn't freeze. And he took the soup, but he didn't go back in the palace. And Doji finally intrigued, went out to meet him and asked him, why aren't you coming into the palace? Uh, and, you know, what, what are you doing out here freezing? And uh, Shinsei sits down with her and basically says he's looking at the snowflakes. He's appreciating how every snowflake is unique and separate. And if he went into the palace, he would miss them. He would not see their uniqueness. He would not see their spirit. And in the end, it's revealed that this is Shinsei. And it founds Doji's philosophy on the clans that um, every moment is unique and to be treasured. Every person is unique to be treasured. And uh, you, you can't just let life slip by. You have to really seize all those small, small moments and use them to the best of your ability. And that is very much the philosophy of the Crane Clan, that live each day as if it were your last. Live each moment as if it was the one that the story of your life is going to be written around. Didn't know that one. That, that sounds also relatively new. I don't know. Was that uh, from the old lore as no, well? No, that or? was old for. Oh. That was from the old lore. I did not know that. So, yeah. We'll have links to some of this old lore in the show notes. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, see, I, I don't, I don't really know much about the the Crane Clan myself, um, and I certainly not delved deep into their uh, into the law. Like uh, I'm aware she she married Kakita, and that was a a big thing because he was courting her, and she asked him, I believed, for all sorts of crazy, impossible things. Well, he had one. So, so he had one. So. Kikita was a young man from the north, and he, the emperor had a big tournament to pick a new champion bodyguard for himself. 
And in this tournament, uh, he shows up and he's very polite to all of his opponents. And another person in this tournament is Matsu. And Matsu is very impolite to all of her opponents and very rude and just stomps all over them. And finally, in the finals, it's Kikita versus Matsu. And when Kikita beats Matsu in the end, um, he does not help her out. He does not bow to her. He just turns away. And she gets really pissed off because he was rude. He was polite to everyone else and rude to her. And he says that she was rude to everyone else. And he, it is important for everybody, especially the samurai, to know that we're all children of the earth, that we're all human beings and we all need to be treated with respect. And he offers his seppuku to Hante for being rude to Matsu uh, in that fashion. And Hante laughs and at that point appoints him Emerald Champion and protector of the people of Rokugan um, because he is advocating for them. So at that point, Hante and Kikita are best buddies and Kikita sees Doji and falls in love with her. And uh, Hante is happy about the idea of marrying off Doji to Kikita because this is that kind of society, I guess. And... Um, Doji does not want to marry Kikita. He doesn't want to, she doesn't want to marry a mortal. She doesn't think that that's right. So rather than marry Kikita, uh, she, and potentially offend her brother, she comes up with these three impossible tasks for him to do. And instead of him withdrawing his request to marry her, he says, yeah, I'll, I'll fill those three impossible tasks. And he goes off. And, while his twin sister works on Doji and like tells Doji, like, look, he's a really good guy. He's done these heroic stuff. Uh, he goes off and tries to search the world for the answers to the three riddles. And eventually he comes to this little fishing village where this little old woman is keeping her village very prosperous because of how uh, wise she is. And the old woman's name is Yasuki. And Yasuki tells Kakita the answers to the three riddles, and he goes back and um, gives very flirtatious answers to the riddles, like, show me the most beautiful thing in the world, and he shows Dochi a mirror, and she sees her own face, and yeah, who can't fall for a line like that? So they get married in the end, and he, she's happy about it by then. I mean, clearly, it is obviously in the in the very early days, so all these cheesy lines hadn't become cliches yet. <laughs> <laughs> that, and it did is you fall from heaven? Yes, I did, actually. Oh, right. Uh, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, they have five children. Um, Yasurugi, Konoshiko, Neo, Shimizu, and Hayaku. And so... The first two of those children are twins. And uh, Yasurugi is like this noble hero. He's a swordsmith, so he's made lots of the major weapons of the clan, including Kunshu, who we've seen featured in the story, and the Crane Clan sword. So he is a very, very fine swordsmith, as well as being of heroic main. And on the... So Shinsei shows up and says, I need a he mortal hero, and I choose you. And as soon as he says, I choose you to Yasurugi, 
just as Yasurugi is giving a sword he forged for his son to um, to his baby boy, um, well, an Oni shows up and kills Yasurugi. And it's very sad, and the Thunders are doomed because one of them is already dead. But then Konishiko, who is his twin sister and a courtier and who invented the tea ceremony and is not a fighty person at all, uh, picks up the sword and says his spirit is here. And um, Shinsei makes her the thunder instead. Or they have the same soul, so she is the thunder instead. And um, they go and they fight in Fulang and apparently win. Yep. Although not very many people came back, so, you know. <laughs> yeah, the Konoshiko and Yasurugi did not come back, and it was very tragic. Uh, Neo went on to go on and found the Doji family. Shimizu founded the Kikita family after his father. And Hayaku was the youngest son. And Doji felt, you know, being a spiritual being, she somehow knew that the spirits of her children, uh, Yasurugi and Konoshiko, were trapped in the Shadowlands. And she could not give up her grieving. She was very uh, tortured about it. And I can imagine, I mean, you know, these are divine beings. They've never known anything of death, really. And now they're um, <laughs> experiencing the death of their children and loved ones for the first time, really. And, and it's she was very heartbroken. So her youngest son, Heaku, goes into the Shadowlands to make sure that they are, you know, to, to bring back the souls of Yasurugi Kaneshiko. And he does do so, though it involves horrible, horrible experiences. Um, and yeah, the Shadowlands it, are not fun. His, the trauma of it basically ends up with his throat slit so he can't talk anymore. His hair is white from the horrors that he has seen, but he comes back um, carrying with him the sword of Yasurugi and Konoshiko and bringing back their souls. And um, in honor of that, he is made the founder of the Dai Doji family, which means protectors of the Doji. And that's also where the tradition of white-haired crane comes from, because... Um, when, in order to make him not feel bad about having this white hair in a society where everyone pretty much has black and brown hair, uh, a lot of people, they started to dye their hair white, and that just became a tradition. Well, it became a tradition. It's also a, very much a symbol of honoring the Daitoji, since the Daitoji family really makes a lot of sacrifices for the rest of the crane. The crane have plenty of enemies, and... Uh, they get to do artsy courtier stuff and somebody has to go and suffer on the battlefield for them. And uh, the rest of the crane dye their hair white. The Daitoji dye their hair white in honor of um, their founder. And the rest of the crane often dye their hair white out of respect for the sacrifices yep. of the Daitoji. But despite what the card art might tell you, not absolutely every single crane does it. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's, yeah, there's a lot of crane who, who don't. Yeah, uh, it's it's hard to keep it's hard to keep your hair dyed. The roots grow in. I know. It's, it, yeah, and if your crane, you know, you, you have to keep it perfect because you can't yeah. have half and half, and, and it's it's very challenging. So it's 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 a tough life being a crane. <laughs> Not everyone can look this good. 
Uh, I mean, the, the, the Kakita are also, although they're, they're known a lot for their dueling, they are also artisans, uh, artists, really. And so the, the Kakita Academy is actually more about art than it's about yeah, jutsu dueling. Well, it's fifty-fifty. Mm. It's it's both. The there are kakita artisans and um, kakita bushi, and the bushi are the jewelists. So kakita, in his own grief, after the founding of the uh, after losing their two children, became more and more obsessed with uh, his art and refining his art and perfecting his art. And uh, he founded the Kikita Academy, and his son Shimizu kind of took it over. And it was also made part by uh, his sister, uh, Kikita's twin sister, who uh, also nurtured the the arts in in that place. So that's why it's got the dual foundings. So um, that's how Craneland sort of began, and then. Things progress through time, and um, the cranes are the diplomats and artists of the empire for you know continuing on forward. And one of the things that happened is that uh, the crane negotiated many many years later. The crane negotiated a peace between the lion and the phoenix because there was a big war between them both, and the. One of the phoenix, the phoenix uh, elemental master of fire, its name was Isawa Asahina. And Isawa Asahina was very angry at the fact that this peace had been negotiated and he could not get his just revenge against the lion for all the terrible things that they had done to the phoenix, in his opinion anyway. And in vengeance for that, he came and started burning crane villages. And Doji Kiriko, who was the daughter of the uh, crane champion at the time, at least according to some versions of the story, um, rode out to meet him and said, you're not going to burn this village. And he burned the village anyway in New Fivar, or she threw her body in the way between his burning the village and and stopped him from burning the village that way. But anyway... Um, he, she, in the end, made him see the error of his ways and that he had become a terrible person who had dishonored his ancestors by doing this. And in his desire for repentance, he left the Phoenix clan. He married Kiriko and joined the Crane clan and ended up founding the Asahina family. And the Asahina family devotes itself to peace and repentance on behalf of the samurai for basically all the evils of the world. And I, I think it's one that they have a, a really cool kind of story how they got got a family. But there's also a story how about they lost a family, which was the, the Yasuki family. Because, well, even though the crane, are, they generally have some of the, the best farmlands in all of Rokugan and thus lots of rice and thus... They do pretty well. They're they're, they're pretty rich. Um, they felt that the Yasuki were a bit too concerned with money and wealth and and all that sort of thing. And uh, yeah, in the end, the Yasuki felt that they were unloved and unwanted and and unappreciated, and they 
casually mentioned to the Crab Clan who are nearby and on the borders that, you know, should they want a courtier family, there was one going spare, you know. <laughs> I don't think it was quite like I, that. I, 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 that I, I, I'm paraphrasing a little. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yes, uh, but that caused what's sometimes referred to as, well, the first war is the war with Fuleng, but this is often considered to be the first real war between clans, uh, where, because obviously the, the Crane clan went, you're not having those lands, and the Crab clan went, yeah, we kind of are. And uh, that was the, I think I think it was also, it's also the, because this was a, a, an actual proper war, where things got broken and lots of people got killed and there's a certain amount of, if we burn this village down, then the enemy don't have it. And uh, the emperor looked at that and went, oh, that was horrible. You shouldn't do that ever again. Hey, I'm the emperor. I can say things. You don't do that ever again. Ha ha. And, uh, (laughs) you know, it's one of the perks. Absolutely. So, you know, from the crab point of view, of course, the... uh, there was a conflict between the crane and the crab, and the Yasuki felt bad for the crab yeah. plight, and therefore you know, joined, refused to fight them. And it was because uh, they refused to fight them. The uh, crane champion at the time said, "Get out of my sight." And yes, the Yasuki that's took that right. Very literally, that's right. For, permanently, uh, the crab champion told the Yasuki daimyo to get out of his sight and the daimyo took that as i will get out of the clan mm. um, how how more out of sight could it possibly be right um so because of that the tensions between the crab and the crane in general are pretty high um however uh the crane and the daidoji actually have a, a the and the crab have an interesting relationship. Yes, because uh, we not with the Yasuki. No, no. I mean, I believe there there are still like eight hundred years later. I think it is um, something along those lines. There are still places where no crane diplomats go because it's a Yasuki place, and there are there are places where no Yasuki diplomat can go. Like eight hundred years later, they're they're still doing this, which is really kind of interesting. Yes. Uh, yeah, but on the other on the other hand, um, the crane are kind of next in line when the Shadowlands overruns the wall. Yeah, yeah, and the I think we covered the battle of the Tidal Land Bridge when we talked about the Crab Clan, but that is why the Dadoji Iron Warriors get to serve on the wall, which is another thing that makes them very unique. Is that they very often. When you meet a, a doji, a daidoji warrior, they're not just some guy who learned in a dojo. He has been to the wall and has seen some real, real fighting. Right. So it so daidoji armies are much smaller, are quite a bit smaller than other clans' armies, especially for the size of their lands. The length of their border is extremely long and vulnerable. But the daidoji are extremely well trained and battle hardened. Yeah. Um, to help defend it all. The crane also have, well, the crane and the lion have always fought ever since Matsu was really pissed that Kikita didn't bow to her. <laughs> and yeah. they have sworn eternal vengeance on Kikita that's, for that, that disrespect. That's like a thousand years ago. I mean, heaven's sake. Both of you should just get it. <laughs> both of you, two, both, go to your rooms, get over this, you know. 
She's just jealous uh, that Kikita but the, won. They actually, they, there were some other interesting relationships, like the crane and the unicorn, because when the unicorn came back, and you know, we are the Kirin clan come back, only we're calling ourselves the unicorn clan now, everyone else is going, you are a bunch of weird foreigners on weird horses, wearing weird armor and speaking weird. Die. Yeah, we, we, we should <laughs> murderate you. But they were, the diplomat that they sent brought back a sandalwood fan that Lady Doji had given to Lady Shinjo 800 years previously. And the crane were able to verify, yes, this is Lady Doji's fan. These really are the returned children of Shinjo. So there's a a good relationship between those two, precisely because of that. Even though the unicorn are very, very foreign, and sometimes the crane find that a bit wearing. Yes, in return, the crane, uh, the unicorn gave the crane a unit of unicorn horses, not their best stuff, they always keep their best stuff, but a unit of uh, very, very good unicorn Mm. horses uh, that is basically all of the crane cavalry because they don't have much. Um, And the unit is called Doji's Fan after the the original fan. Uh, Everybody knows that the crane and the scorpion are basically competitors in the court. Uh, they're mirror images of each other in in a lot of ways, actually. Uh, all about favors and and you know getting to know people and learning what they like and what they don't like. It's just um, the crane kind of try and promote harmony and favors and giving and gifts, whereas the scorpion <laughs> slightly different. They take a different route. Yep. Yeah. The crane and the phoenix, other than that brief incident with Asahina, have generally had really good relationships because they're both peaceful. We don't know if it's going to stay that way in New 5R because we have learned that the, well, nobody knows except the phoenix, but the phoenix know that the tsunami that just devastated crane lands uh, three years before the start of the story was caused by uh, the phoenix trying to take an aggressively... uh, magical approach to solving the elemental imbalance yeah they they balanced a whole lot of um crane coastlands with yeah seawater <laughs> which hasn't but they don't know that yet in fact i think it's only the elemental council who know and and the readers so right. that if that ever comes out that's going to be interesting right and then the crane and the dragon they generally do not have a lot of uh, relationship at all. Yep. Though we do learn in new, new Legend of the Five Rings that the crane provide much of the rice for the dragon. That dragon lands are very infertile. Yeah. Well, it's not so much they're and, infertile, uh, it's just that they're vertical. They're, well, yeah. Uh, and and a little bit too high up yeah. for rice patties. Um, uh, so. and, but there, there, is a, there is another lurking thing, which is that's a complete nonsense. I don't know why I was saying that. Yes, so they they actually are relatively good relationships. I presume it's mostly trade. You know, the the, the mm. dragon have a lot of like minerals and stuff, and they're trading that. So yeah, most of their food comes from the from the crane. So they they actually, I presume, they get on reasonably well. Yep. So we will find out if there's more about that. There's some other events mm. in their history. Uh, you will hear the word uh, gazoku. Batted around. We are uh, at going to have to do a Gozuku deep dive. That is going to be so. so we'll cool. do a Gozuku uh, deep dive. Uh, we'll also probably, if we you know get our 
Shadowlands angst. We might do a, a deep dive into Uchiban and his uh, sidekick, <laughs> Asahina Yejinden, who is a name you will hear, mm. which shows, who, who basically shows that Crane don't often make bad guys, but when they make bad guys, they make the best bad guys. He was a so. very naughty individual. <laughs> But we'll talk about that next time. Yep. So that's the basics, or maybe not next time, but in a future episode. Yep. So that's the basics of the lore of the Crane clan that gets them through today. And I hope that today's story is Crane, but we shall see. I guess we will. So we're looking forward to that. But that's it for that's it for me. So this is Kikita Kaori. May the fortunes favor you. And I'm Kovar. And until we meet again, keep your jade handy. Bye.